I invite you to take your Bibles tonight and let's turn to 2 Kings chapter number 4. 2 Kings chapter number 4. This is one of those not so familiar Bible stories. Next week we're going to be looking at one that's much more familiar, Lord willing. We'll be taking a look at uh, Naaman the Syrian who had uh, leprosy. And uh, I think most of us know that story, but uh, not a lot of folks know about this death in the pot. <laughs> so we're going to take a look. And this story takes place in Gilgal, which we've talked about before. It's just northwest of Jericho and about 10 to 12 miles east of Jerusalem. And it was one of the three places where some of the sons of the prophets were being trained. We might think of those places as Bible schools or seminaries. And after Elijah was translated to heaven, the operation and care for these three schools fell primarily on Elisha, who was his successor. Now tonight we're going to see yet another miracle. Uh, we're seeing a lot of miracles out of Elisha. Uh, he's doing a lot more miracles-wise than Elijah, but he has a double portion of the blessing on him, amen? And you would expect that, but... Uh, uh, tonight we see yet another miracle of the Lord by the hand of Elisha. And in this miracle, Elisha heals a pot full of stew. I kid you not. <coughs> um, have you ever had a meal that needed healing? <laughs> somebody, somebody, somebody needs to lay hands on this thing. <laughs> Toss it out the back. Uh, I know I've gotten hold of a few of those in my lifetime. Not for my wife now. She's a good cook. All right. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to get in trouble with her. But let's read the verses as we deal with them here tonight. Uh, verse number uh, 38. 2 Kings 4, verse number 38. It says, And Elisha came again to Gilgal. And there was a dearth in the land. And the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said unto his servant, Set on the great pot, and seethe pottage for the sons of the prophets. So we see first things mentioned here is there, there was dearth in the land. The word dearth indicates, of course, that there was a severe famine in the land. And it was really the hand of God's judgment against the land of Israel uh, in response to the sins of Israel, primarily idolatry. Remember the northern, t northern ten kingdoms had a real problem with idolatry. And every one of their kings were idolatrous. And they hadn't had a good king yet. And uh, we see that uh, prior to the, the children of Israel entering the promised land, uh, the Lord had spelled out the blessings of obeying Him and the consequences of disobeying Him in Deuteronomy 28. Uh, and if you, I'm not going to turn there tonight, but in Deuteronomy 28 and verses 1 through 8, there was the blessings of obedience. You know, God promised them a blessing. All they had to do was obey. But there was a curse of disobedience. And that's found in Deuteronomy 28 verses 14 through 19, verses 23 through 24 and verse 42. Now, the children of Israel were warned, but they did not heed the Lord's plainly spoken words. Um, they, it's like they ignored what he had to say. You know, in our own dear country, of course, we also have a dearth going on. It's a dearth of the Word of God, amen? 
and we have more churches and preachers in this country than anywhere else in the world. And you'd think that we ought to be a real Christian nation, <laughs> if there is such a thing, with all the Bible that is supposedly being taught and preached. But the problem is, in many cases, the Word of God is not being preached. There are a lot of so-called churches that are out there not, that are not really doing the work of a church at all. Amos chapter number 8, verse number 11 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Now, Amos was talking about Israel, but we know that Paul indicated something similar in 2 Timothy 4, and verse 2 through 4, as he's talking about the times that were going to be coming ahead. And I believe it extends to our time. And he told Timothy, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall, heap, shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Now, do we not live in a time that uh, the preaching of sound doctrine has been replaced by other things, been uh, replaced by feel-good talks, you know, just give people tickle their ears, give, give them what they want to hear, musical concerts, dramas, and other things that appeal to the flesh. And what has happened is our nation, by and large, has forgotten God. And sin is eating away at the core of our nation, such as never seen up to this time. And our nation, it really is in spiritual shambles. Oh, there's a lot of spirituality being embraced, but it's the wrong kind of spirituality. And God and His truth are being pushed off and rejected like never before in our country, especially in those who are in places of authority. I've never seen such a dearth in real leadership in our nation as is, uh, I'm talking about Congress and, and the Senate. Uh, I mean, it's just really, we, we really are hurting bad for uh, statesman. You know, statesman is, is a word that folks wanted to hear that they were. They were a statesman uh, when they were would go and serve. And it was a service back then. Uh, they weren't serving themselves. But sadly, in our day and time, too many of them are about padding their own pockets than they are about uh, serving the people. And uh, we need to pray for our leaders, don't we? We need to pray for our nation. But the Lord is, we know, is also rejected because of idolatry and in our nation. There's the idolatry of materialism and covetousness that have been embraced while the one true God is ignored. People have to have bigger and better. You know, they get a new phone today, boy, if, you know, the new thing comes out two months from now, they want that new one. You know, they, they want the new thing. And many have a buy now and bankrupt later mentality about them. And we see people working longer and longer hours just to try to stay afloat. And their, their families are suffering because of it. Children especially suffering. And it's even seen in many churches today. There are so many churches that build larger, prettier buildings and wind up deep in debt to do it. And they have forgotten that the borrower is servant to the lender. And many have done away with sound preaching because they have to draw the big crowds. And big crowds don't draw, aren't drawn with uh, sound preaching. They're just not. Uh, they got to have those big crowds, though, to get the offerings to be able to pay for their buildings. 
And that sound preaching doesn't draw the big crowds anymore. Now, the pure Word of God has been replaced in many churches by all kinds of watered-down Bible wannabes that have been changed by men into something that is not the Word of God, and it's all in the name of prophet. You know, they, they make changes to it so they can copyright it. You know, it's, it's different than the other one. Well, things that are different are not the same. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. And, uh, and they get that copyright on it and so they can profit off of it. And then they'll come out with another version a couple of years down the road and, and try to profit off of that one. And who knows what the latest version out there is. I just prefer to just stick with the old, good old King James Bible. Where it's good enough uh, for me. And uh, it's, it's, we know it's the Word of God. Amen. And uh, sadly, the pure Word of God has been being replaced by uh, all those things that are pretending to be the Word of God. Now, this recent pandemic has aided in the spiritual dearth that I'm talking about in our land. People have gotten used to staying home from church by the government-mandated closures. And now that churches are opening again, way too many people are willfully now forsaking the assembly. Willfully. You, know, they, you can come, but uh, a lot of them aren't coming. So back to our text here. We see there was a physical dearth in the land of Israel and there was a spiritual dearth there that caused that physical dearth and that was caused by the idolatrous practices. Second thing we see is that we see there was a dinner that was needed. <laughs> okay, Verse number 38. Uh, there and Elisha came to Gilgal and there was a dearth in the land and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And, and you get this picture here. He's got all these Young Bible school students sitting before him, probably teaching them. And he sent it to his servant, set on the great pot, seethe pottage for the sons of the prophets. Uh, <clears throat> he's got these preacher boys, and uh, I'm gathering that maybe they were looking hungry, or maybe you could hear their stomachs growling. I don't know what it was, but... Uh, and maybe they were holding up signs saying, feed me. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. If it was our day and time, probably the way it would, it would work. We're not told. But if these were young men, uh, we know what was happening, don't we? I mean, young guys get hungry. And they got to eat. <laughs> um, or maybe Elisha was the one that's hungry. Man, God got to eat too. And uh, uh, anyway, he said, you know, put on set on a pot there to, to see. Then we see there was a direction for relief. And he, he told his servants, set on the great pot, see the pottage for the sons of the prophets. You know, when people are hungry, there's only one thing that needs to be done, and that's feed them. And Elisha tells his servant, and this is Gehazi, to get the pot, start a meal. And the word seethe means to boil up. So I'm sure he first thing he did, you did, you got to put on a pot of water, right? Get it boiling before you start throwing stuff in the pot. And as they were getting that, getting that pot going and rolling to the boil, uh, you know, the, I'm sure these guys' mouths were watering. Uh, we see that there was uh, somebody that was sent out to get something to put in the pot. <laughs> Look in verse number 39, and we see uh, in this verse there was some discernment that was needed. He says, and one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered thereof wild gourds, his lap full. 
and came and shred them in the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. Now, I take it this guy was probably pretty hungry. And those gourds look like, you know, this might make that stew pretty good. But one of the young men went out to gather these herbs, and that, that's where the problem comes in here. While he was gathering their herbs, he found that vine with wild, what's called wild gourds and thought that those gourds might just add a little substance to that pot of stew. <laughs> you know, when you're eating stew, you want some substance to it. That's what I had Sunday. Uh, we, my, my wife fixes that, fixes that stew real good and thick. You know, it's, we got to, it's got the gravy in there, but it's got the potatoes and the meat and the and the and the carrots and all, and it was good. You know, now I'm making some of you hungry, but anyway, uh, the problem was this young man did not know the difference between that which was edible and that which was poisonous, and so he picked up a lap full of these gourds and he just shreds them into the pot. He didn't ask anybody. He just throws it in the pot. Well, here's a lesson that we can learn from this account. Many believers do not know the difference between good spiritual food that comes from the pure word of God and that which is poisonous. Uh, too many folks assume that because something calls itself Christian or is purchased in a Christian bookstore uh, or website that it must indeed be Christian, be careful. Uh, some are not willing to do the research that's needed about the actual source or ask a man of God before they feed on such things. And be, be careful what you spiritually chew on and swallow. Uh, we need to be like the Bereans in Acts 17.11. says that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. You don't, don't just... Uh, be like a little bird waiting for mama with, for that, with that worm, you know. Be ready to take and check things out. You know, I, I've encouraged you over the years that I've been here to make sure you check me out, amen. Um, and we, you need to always check, uh, compare to Scripture. And you go with Scripture, amen. All right, we who are believers have, we know we've got the Holy Spirit to guide us through the Holy Scriptures. Um, Acts I mean, excuse me, John chapter 16, verse 13 says, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So, you know, we ought to be able to discern the difference between that which is spiritually edible and that which is poisonous teachings. And that which... Uh, should be received, and that which ought to be spit out. Amen. Um, some of the preachers hang around, they, they talk about, well, you know, I read after so-and-so, but I spit out the bones. And what they're talking about, that you know, can't trust everything that guy says, but they know what to spit out of what he says. It takes some digging in the Scriptures to discern what's right and what's wrong. I found it best just to kind of leave that stuff alone. You know, if you, you, you know... Uh, it, I prefer to do that myself. You know, I, I, I'd rather take and dig through the Word of God for myself. Um, we, the fifth thing we see here is found in verse number uh, 40. We see there was death in the pot. Verse 40, So they poured out for the men to eat. 
And it came to pass, as they were eating of the pottage, that they cried out and said, O thou man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat thereof. As soon as they began to eat, they realized that something wasn't quite right. Was it the taste? We're not told, but they were crying out, hey, there's death in the pot, and they couldn't eat it. I don't know if it's making them sick or what the deal was. You ever eat something that maybe looked good, and then you taste it and you find out, ooh, that ain't no good. I remember a time, uh, me and my wife, we were out with her mother in Waycross, Georgia, I remember, and there was a cafeteria inside of a pick and save that was there and we went in there to eat at the cafeteria and there was some stuff in there that, that things weren't labeled you know but it looked like salisbury steak and that's what i picked i got to the table and i popped it in my mouth i said there's something wrong with that right there it was liver i can't stand liver uh, to this day i cannot eat liver and uh, I don't know that I ever ate Salisbury steak after that. But I mean, uh, it was not pleasant to have something unpleasant touch your palate. Uh, those that sensed the danger with the first taste here did not keep the danger to themselves. And uh, they could have just eat, you know, said, okay, well, I'm, I'm not going to eat this. Let everybody else eat it. No, they, they cared enough to warn their fellow brethren and their leader of the danger you know, we should know that our adversary, the devil, tries to poison the minds of people with false doctrines. And when you know right doctrine, you can sense when something is wrong. I mean, when you just take the doctrine of Christ, the world tries to portray Christ's death as a martyr's death. His death was not a martyr's death. Instead of what it really was, what it really was was a willing, vicarious, substitutionary, and atoning death for all men's sin. Praise God. Amen. He willingly died. They could not have taken his life from him. He gave it there on the cross for our sin. And the world tries to explain away Christ's glorious resurrection with theories of their own small minds. But we know the truth. Jesus arose from the dead. And he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, as Luke put it in Acts chapter 1. Listen, when you know the truth... You can point out the error and the fallacies of the world that are dangerous to those who ingest them. Well, we see there was distress of heart, the sixth thing here. There in verse number 40. By proclaiming the truth of the situation that might have been offensive to the one who put these poisonous gourds in the pot. You think about the guy that went out and got them. You know, he's, he's gone out there and done the work. And he's cut them up and put them in there thinking he was doing a good thing. Um, but it wasn't so good, was it? Many people in our day don't speak up because they don't want to offend anybody. But folks, you know, their their very lives are at stake. And, you know, if they had continued here to to eat this poisonous stew, uh, other people at the table, hey, it would have probably caused some death. But they had to speak up. And this applies to the exposing of error with the the truth as well. We must proclaim the truth no matter who it offends. People's eternal souls are at stake. Folks can get offended 
when we point out the fact that those who are not born again are hell-deserving sinners, no matter how good the world thinks that they are. I remember uh, one of Susan's good friends when she was in uh, high school here in Orange Park, and um, we had, uh, in fact, her um, her husband uh, played guitar at our our wedding, and um, you know it was a situation there which she was raised Roman Catholic, and my wife my wife was not, uh, but they were still friends at high school. And I remember going over to their house. They, were, they lived over in Tanglewood when it was a new subdivision. <laughs> I remember going over to Tanglewood many years back, and uh, we were talking to them about the Lord, and, and uh, they wanted to say, well, you telling me that my neighbor down here, she, she, they live better than, than a lot of people that call themselves Christians. If, if they die, they got all these good works that they do. If they die, they're going to hell. That's what the Bible says. And they couldn't believe that. They didn't want to believe that. Still to this day, probably do not believe that. But what did they need to hear? They need to hear the truth. Amen. They needed to hear the truth. Um, when we see our sin as God sees it, it's not a pretty picture, is it? Sin affects the entire body, uh, soul and spirit. And it separates men from God. Sinful man does not like their sin being called what it is. Think about John the Baptist calling Herod out on his adultery. Well, his wife didn't like it. Some none at all, did she? (laughs) Uh, She was ready for John the Baptist's head to be taken off. And Elijah called out Ahab and his wife Jezebel for their wickedness and and their idolatry. and Boy, they put him on the run (laughs) trying trying to do away with him. Because sinful people, they don't like their sin being called out. Preachers run into problems when they preach on certain subjects. And so many preachers aren't willing to preach on those subjects. One reason why I'm not a subject preacher, I preach through the Word of God, and when we hit those subjects, it's like, look, we're just right there in the book. You know, This is what, it, we're, we're right there. And we call it what it is. And... Uh, but a lot of preachers, they, they, they preach on subjects, and they, with some of the subjects they'll, they'll, they won't touch because they're, they're unpopular. The faithfulness, fashions, talking about dress, family, and finances. You know, those are the, those are the lot of areas that they uh, dodge. But I prefer to preach through books, teach through books, and preach the whole counsel of God. Now, the Word of God throws its spotlight on the true intents of the heart. Understand that when... The Word of God convicts your heart. It's not the preacher. When I come up here and I take the Word of God and I read it and I preach what it says in truth and the Holy Spirit of God grabs a hold of you, <laughs> uh, that's not me. It's, it's the Holy Spirit has taken the Word and searched your heart and exposed your sin. If a man of God loves God's Word the way that he should, he will not overlook passages dealing with the difficult subjects. And you all know I don't do that. <laughs> uh, but rather he will preach the whole counsel of God with a heart that loves God and loves people enough to tell them the truth. And, um, I mean, the proof is that uh, hey, you came back after Sunday night. Amen. Uh, I know it was hard Sunday night, but I just preached in the book, you know, where we were at and where we are at as a nation. Amen. Um, 
then we see the deliverance in the meal. Look at uh, verse number 41. But he said, Then bring meal. This is Elisha. He said, Then bring meal. And he cast it into the pot. And he said, Pour out for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. So uh, Elisha acted immediately. He knew several things. These young guys were hungry. And they could not study and do the work of God without eating. And they were looking to him for direction. And so he took swift action. Meal was the antidote that he used here. I don't think there was anything uh, special about the meal other than uh, the Lord blessed it to do the work that needed to be done. Meal in the Bible is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ as well as a type of the Word of God. Well, Jesus is the Word, amen. He's the living Word. <laughs> so it makes sense that you know, both of them are pictured in meal. And what a picture this is. I mean, the world is full of poison. It needs Jesus to change it. It needs the pure Word of, of truth. And we must use the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to counteract the poison of the world. And we can do this by giving good gospel tracts to those that we come in contact with. We can do this by witnessing uh, of Christ to folks as the Lord gives us opportunity. I mean, we have a dearth in this land of hearing the Word of God, specifically the Gospel of Christ. And may we be diligent in these days, these last days, to share the Gospel to those who need it. Now, the last thing I want us to see is we see a, another miracle right after this. Look at verse 42 through 44. It says, And there came a man from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley, and full ears of corn, and the husk thereof. And he said, Give unto the people that they may eat. And his servitor said, Why should I set this before an hundred men? He said again, Give the people that they may eat. For thus saith the Lord, They shall eat and shall leave thereof. And so he set it before them, and they did eat and left thereof according to the word of the Lord. And so we see here uh, this town that was mentioned, Baal Shalisha, was a town that was close by to Gilgal. And so this incident uh, may have been it may have taken place in very close proximity in time as the preceding one. And I want you to remember that there's a famine in the land, right? And nevertheless, there, there came a man who was apparently a believer, and to, he came to Elisha, the man of God, who in spite of the famine, this guy, he determined he was going to obey God. He brought the, the first fruits offering of his harvest to God in the form of 20 loaves of barley bread and an unspecified number full of full ears of corn on the cob, what I'd call it, amen. And um, in spite of the possibility of coming up short of food himself during the famine, you know, you have the tendency, to, you know, when uh, things are looking bleak all, way, all around you, and you get something, you kind of want to be clingy with it. You better make sure you obey God. Amen. And uh, he chose to be obedient to God's law anyway in spite of the sh shortness of food and, and, the, and the famine that was going on. And this is a great testimony of faith, 
trust and obedience to God as he trusted the Lord to take care of him. I mean, this guy was living by faith. Amen. Living by faith. And when Elisha suggested uh, that the food be given to feed these uh, hundred or so guys that were assembled there, these sons of the prophets, the, the servant's response indicated that it was far too little to feed so many men. <laughs> Probably looked at how hungry they were too. Uh, but nevertheless, Elisha ordered him to distribute it and assured him that the Lord had promised him that there would be, that would not only be plenty, but some would be left over. Imagine that. God was in the leftovers, amen. And the servant obeyed Elisha, and God multiplied the food, just as he had promised, proving once again that he is the Lord who provides and fulfills what he says he's going to do. Amen. We can trust him. And what a couple of wonderful stories there, amen. All right, that's our Bible study for this evening. Uh, let's pull out our prayer list. We'll pray for the needs before us tonight, and we'll be dismissed with this prayer, okay? Appreciate you being out here tonight.